Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast, and thank you for gathering today for another Irish legend. In the Lunasa episode, I mentioned that the legends following it would centre on the god Lu. I can think of no better place to start than with the coming of the Tawatha. We are about to start an incredible journey that I'm sure you will enjoy. The coming of the Tawatha Didanan, the fight with the fear bogs. It was in a mist the Tuatha de Danann, the people of the gods of Dana, or as some have called them, the men of day, came through the air and the high air to Ireland. It was from the north they came, and in the place they came from, they had four cities, where they fought their battle for learning, great Phalius and shining Gorias and Phineas and rich Murius that lay to the south. And in those cities they had four wise men to teach their young men skill and knowledge and perfect wisdom. Cineus and Murius, and Arius, the fair-haired poet, and Phineas, and Urius, of the noble nature in Gorius, and Morius and Phalius itself. And they brought from those four cities their four treasures, a stone of virtue from Phalius that was called the Leophale. They brought the stone of destiny. And from Gorius they brought a sword, and from Phineas a spear of victory, and from Murius the fourth treasure, the cauldron that no company ever went away from unsatisfied. Noada was the king of the Tuatha de Danann at that time, but Manon son of Lear was greater again. And of the others that were chief among them were Ogma, brother to the king, that taught them writing, Diankecht that understood healing, and Night, a god of battle, and Credinus, the craftsman, and Giovnu, the smith. The greatest among their women were Bib, a battle goddess, Maka, whose mast feeding was the heads of men killed in battle, and the Moragu, the crow of battle, and Ayr and Fodla and Banba, the daughters of the Dagda, that all three gave their names to Ireland afterwards, and Aidan, the nurse of poets, and Bridget, that was a woman of poetry, and poets worshipped her, for her sway was very great and very noble. She was a woman of healing, and with that she was a woman of Smith's work, and it was she who made the whistle for calling to one another through the night. On one side of her face it was ugly, but the other side was very comely, and the meaning of her name, Briosicht, a fiery arrow. And among the other women there were many shadow forms and great queens, but Dana, that was called the mother of the gods, was far beyond them all. And the three things they put above all others were the plough and the sun and the hazel tree. 
so that it was said in the time to come that Ireland was divided between those three, Call the Hazel, Kecht the Plough, and Green the Sun. And they had a well below the sea, where the nine hazels of wisdom were growing, that is, the hazels of inspiration and of knowledge and poetry. And their leaves and blossoms would break out in the same hour, and would fall on the well in a shower that raised a purple wave. And then the five salmon that were waiting there would eat the nuts, and their colour would come out in the red spots of their skin, and any person that would eat one of those salmon would know all wisdom and all poetry. And there were seven streams of wisdom that sprang from that well, and turned back into it again, and the people of many arts have all drank from that well. It was on the first day of Beltane that the Tuatha de Danon came, and it was to the northwest of Connet they landed. But the fewer bogues, the men of the bag, who were in Ireland before them, and had come from the south, saw nothing but a mist lying on the hills. Eohi, son of Eric, was king of the Fyrbogs at that time, and messengers came to him at Timhair and told him there was a race of new people in Ireland. But whether they were from the earth or the skies or the wind, it was not known, but they had settled themselves at Magrain. The messengers had thought there would be wonder in Eohi when he heard the news, but there was no wonder in him. For a dream had come to him in the night, and when he asked his druids the meaning of that dream, it is what they said, that it would not be long till there was a new enemy coming against him. Yohi took counsel from his chief advisers, and it was agreed that they would send a good champion of their own to see the strangers and speak with them. So they chose out Sreng, that was a great fighting man, and he rose up and took his strong red-brown shield his two thick-handled spears and his sword, his head covering and his thick iron club, and he set out from Timir and went onwards to the place where the strangers were, at Magrain. But before he reached it, the watchers of the Tuatha got sight of him, and they sent out one of their own champions, Bress, with his shield and his sword and his two spears, to meet and talk with him. So the two champions went towards one another slowly, and keeping a good watch on one another, and wandering at one another's arms, till they came near enough for talking, and then they stopped, and each put his shield before his body, and struck it hard into the ground, and they looked at one another over the rim. Brez was the first to speak, and when Sreng heard he was talking Irish, his own tongue, he was less uneasy, and they drew nearer, and asked questions to one another's about their family and race. And after a while they put their shields away, and it was what Sreng said, that he raised his head in front of the dread thin sharp spears Brez had in his hand. And Brez said himself was in dread of the thick-handled spears he saw with Sreng. And he asked where all the arms of the fear bogues of the same sort. Sreng took off the tyings of his spears to show them better, and Brez wondered at them, being so strong and heavy so sharp at the sides, though they had no points. Sreng told him the name of the spears was Kresich, and that they would break through shields and crush flesh and bones, so that their thrust was death wounds that never healed. And then he looked at the sharp, thin, hard-pointed spears that were with breasts, and in the end they made an exchange of the spears, the way the fighters on each side would see the weapons the others were used to. And it was the message Bres sent to the Fuhrbogs, 
that if they would give up one half of Ireland, his people would be content to take it in peace. But if they would not give up that much, there would be a battle. And he and Sreng said to one another that whatever might happen in the future, they themselves would be friends. Sreng went back to Team Hare and gave the message and showed the spear, and advised his people to share the country and not go into battle with the people that had weapons so much better than their own. But Yohi and his chief men consulted together, and in the end they said, We will not give up the half of the country to these strangers, for if we do, they said, they soon will take the whole. Now, as to the men of day, when Brez went back to them and showed them the heavy spear, and told them of the strong, fierce man he had got it from, how sturdy he was and well armed, they thought it was likely there would soon be a battle. And they went back from where they were to a better place, farther west in Connacht, and there they settled themselves, and made walls and ditches on the plain of Magnia, where they had a great mountain, Pilgata, in their rear. And while they were moving there and putting up their walls, three queens, Bib, Maka and the Morugu, went to team here where the field bogs were making their plans. And by the power of their enchantments, they brought mists and clouds of darkness over the whole place. And they sent showers of fire and blood over the people, so that they could not see or speak with one another through the length of those three days. But at the end of that time, the three druids of the Fearbogs, Kesarn, Nathach, Inathach, broke the enchantment. The Fearbogs gathered their men together then, and they came with their eleven battalions and took their stand on the eastern end of the plain Magnir. And Noada, king of men of day, sent his poets to make the same offer he made before, to be content with half of the country if it was given up to him. King Iohi bade the poets to ask an answer of his chief men that were gathered there, and when they heard the offer they would not consent, so the messengers asked them when they would begin the battle. We must have a delay, they said, for we want time to put our spears and our armour in order, to brighten our helmets and sharpen our swords, and to have made spears like the ones you have. And as to yourselves, they said, you will be wanting to have spears like our Krasics made for you. So they agreed then to make a delay of a quarter of a year for preparation. It was on a midsummer day the battle began. Three times nine hurlers of the Tuatha de Danon went out against three times nine hurlers of the Fjörbogs, and they were beaten, and every last one of them was killed. And the king Iohi sent a messenger to ask that they would have the battle every day, or every second day. And Noada replied that they would have it every day, but there should just be the same number of men fighting on each side. Yohi agreed to that, but he was not well pleased, for there were more men of the Fjörbogs than the men of day. So the battle went on for four days, and there were great feats done on each side, and a great many champions came to their death. But for those that were alive at evening, the physicians on each side used to make a bath of healing, with every sort of healing plant or herb in it, the way they would be strong and sound for the next day's fight. And on the fourth day, the men of day got the upper hand, and the fear bogs were driven back, and a great thirst came upon Yohi, their king. In the battle he went off field looking for a drink, and three fifties of his men protecting him. But three fifties of the Tuatha de Danon followed them until they came to the strand that is called Treg Yofil, 
and they had a fierce fight there, and at last King Yohi fell. And there they buried him, and raised a great heap of stones over his grave. And when there were but three hundred men left of eleven battalions of the fear bulks, and sprang at the head of them, Noada offered them peace, and their choice among the five provinces of Ireland. And Strang said that they would take Connaught, and he and his people lived there, and their children after them. The Tuatha de Danann took possession of Timhair, that was sometimes called Durumcain, the beautiful ridge, and Leathdruum, the grey ridge, and Durum na Deskin, the ridge of the outlook. All those names were given to Timhair. And from that time, it was above all other places, for its king was the high king over all of Ireland. The king's wrath lay to the north, and the hill of the hostages to the northeast of the high seat, and the green of Team Hare to the west of the hill of the hostages, and to the northeast in the hill of the she, a well called Nemnach, and out of there flowed a stream called Neth, and on that stream the first mill was built in Ireland. To the north of the hill of hostages was the stone Leah Vale, and it used to roar under the feet of every king that would take possession of Ireland. And the wall of the three whispers was near the house of the women that had seven doors to the east and seven doors to the west, and it is in that house that the feast of Tim here was to be held. And there was the great house of a thousand soldiers, and near it, to the south, the little hill of the women soldiers. But if Noada won the battle, he lost his own arm in it, that was struck off by Sring, and by that loss there came troubles and vexation on his people. For it was law within the Tuatha that no man that was not perfect in the shape should be king. And after Noada had lost the battle, he was put out of the kingship on that account. And the king they chose in his place was Briss, that was the most beautiful of all their young men, so that if a person wanted to praise any beautiful thing, whether it was a plain or a dun or ale, or a flame or a woman or a man or even a horse, it was said that he would say, it is as beautiful as Briss. And he was the son of a woman of the Tuatha, but his father was known to no one but herself. In spite of this, Briss being so beautiful, his reign brought no good luck on his people, for the Fomor, whose dwelling place was beyond the sea, as some say below the sea westward, began putting tribute on them, the way that he would get them under his own rule. It was a long time before the Fomor first came to Ireland, and dreadful they were to look at, maimed, having but one foot or hand, and under the leadership of a giant and his mother. They never came to Ireland an army more horrible and dreadful than the army of Fomor, and they were friendly with the Fearbogs and content to leave Ireland with them, but there was jealousy between them and the men of day. And it was hard to put a tax on them. A third part of their corn, they asked a third part of their milk, a third part of their children, so that there was not smoke rising from a roof in Ireland that was under tribute to them, and Bress made no stand against them, but let them get their way. As to Bress himself, he put a tax on every house of Ireland of the milk of hornless cowduns, or of the milk of cows of some single colour, even for a hundred men. And one time, to deceive him, Necton singed all the cows in Ireland in a fire of fern, and then he smeared them with the ashes of flaxseed, the way that they were all now dark brown. He did that on the advice of the druid Fingal, 
son of Findimus. And another time, they made three hundred cows of wood with dark brown pails in place of udders, and the pails were filled with the black bog stuff. Then Bress came to look at the cows, and to see them milked before him, and Cian, father of Lou, was there. And when they were milked, it was the bog stuff that was squeezed out, and Bress took a drink of it, thinking it to be milk, and he was not better for it for a long time. There was another thing against Bress. He was no way open-handed, and the chief men of the Tuatha grumbled against him, for their knives were never greased in his house, and however often they might visit him, there was no smell of ale on their breath, and there was no sort of pleasure or merriment in his house, and no call for their poets or singers, harpers, pipers, hornblowers, jugglers, or fools. And as to the trials of strength they were used to seeing between their champions, the only use their strength was now put to was doing work for their king. Ogma himself, the shining poet, was under orders to bring firing to the palace every day for the whole army from the islands of Mod, and he was so weak for want of food that the sea would sweep away two-thirds of his bundle every day. And as to the Dagda, he was put to build Raths, for he was a good builder, and he made a trench around Rathbrez. He used to be often tired at the work, and one time nearly gave in altogether for want of food. And this is the way that it happened. He used to meet in the house an idle, blind man. Criddenbell was his name, and he had a sharp tongue, that coveted the Dagda's share of food, for he thought his own to be small beside it. So he said to him, For the sake of your good name, let there be three best bits of your share given to me. And the Dagda gave in to that every night, but he was worse for it. For what the blind man called a bit would be the size of a good pig, and with his three bits, he would take a full third of the whole. But one day, as the Dagda was in the trench, he saw his son Angus Og coming to him. This is a good meeting, said Angus. But what is on you, for you have no good appearance today? There is a reason for that, said the Dagda. For every evening... Criddenbell, the blind man, makes a demand for the three best bits of my share of food and takes them from me. I will give you advice, said Angus. He put his hand into his bag and took out three pieces of gold and gave them to him. Put these three pieces of gold into the three bits that you give this evening to Criddenbell, he said, and they will be the best bits in the dish, and the gold will turn within him the way he will die. So in the evening Dagda did that, and no sooner had Criddenbell swallowed down the gold than he died. Some of the people then said to the king, Dagda killed Criddenbell by giving him some deadly herb. The king believed it, and there was anger on him against Dagda, and he gave orders that he should be put to death. But the Dagda said, You are not giving the right judgment of a prince. And he told all that had happened, and how Criddenbell used to say, Give me the three best bits before you, for my own share is not good tonight. And on this night he said, The three pieces of gold were the best things before me, and I gave them to him, and he died. The king gave orders then to have the body cut open, and they found the gold inside, and they knew it was the truth that Dagda had told. And Angus came to him the next day and said, Your work will soon be done, and when you're given your wages, take nothing that they may offer you until the cattle of Ireland are brought before you, and then choose out a heifer, 
black and black-maned, and then I will tell you the signs. So when the Dagda had brought his work to an end and they asked him what reward he wanted, he did as Angus had bidden him. And this seemed like folly to Briss. He thought Dagda would have asked for far more than a heifer. There came a day at last, when a poet came looking for hospitality at the king's house. Corp, son of Itain, a poet of the Tawatha Dedanan. And it was how he was treated. He was put in a dark, narrow little house where there was no fire or furniture or bed. And for a feast, three small cakes, and they were dry, were brought to him on a little dish. When he rose up on the morrow, he was in no way thankful. And as he was going across the open green, it is what he said. Without food ready on a dish, without milk enough for a calf to grow on, without shelter, without light in the darkness of night, without enough to pay a storyteller, may that be the prosperity of Briss. And from that day on, there was no good luck with Briss, but it was going down he was forever after. And that was the first satire ever made in Ireland. Now, as to Noada, after his arm being struck off, he was in sickness for a while, and then Diane Kecht, the healer, made an arm of silver for him, with movement in every finger of it, and put it on him. And from that he was called Noada of the Silver Hand forever after. Namiak, son of Diane Kecht, was better at hand healing than his father, and had done a great many things. He met a young man having but one eye at Team Hare one time, and the young man said, If you are a good physician, you will put an eye in the place of the eye I lost. I could put the eye of that cat in your lap in its place, said Miak. I would like that well, said the young man. So Miak put the cat's eye in his head, but he would soon have been without it ever after, for when he wanted to sleep and to take rest, it is then that the eye would start squeaking of the mice or the flight of the birds, or the movement of rushes, and when he was wanting to watch an army or a gathering, it was then that it was sure to be in a deep sleep. And Miak was not satisfied with what his father had done to the king, and so he took Noada's own hand that had been struck off, and brought it with him and set it in its place. And he said, Joint to joint, and sinew to sinew. Three days and three nights he was with the king. The first day he put the hand against his side, and on the second day against his breast, till it was covered with skin. And on the third day, he put bulrushes that were blackened in the fire on it, and at the end of that time, the king was healed. Diane Kecht was vexed when he saw his son was doing a better cure than himself, and he threw his sword at his head, that it cut the flesh, but the lad healed the wound by means of his skill. Then Diane Kecht threw it a second time, until it reached the bone, but the lad was able to cure the wound. Then he struck him a third time, and a fourth, till he cut out the brain, for he knew no physician could cure him after that blow, and Miak died, and he buried him. And Herbs grew up from his grave, to the number of his joints and sinews, three hundred and sixty-five, and Ermid his sister came and spread out her cloak, and laid out the herbs in it according to their virtue. Diankecht saw her doing that, and he came and mixed up the herbs so that no one knows of the right powers to this day. When the Tuatha Dedanan saw Noada was as well as he was before, they gathered together at Team Hare, where Briss was, and they bade him give up the kingship, for he had held it long enough. So he had to give it up, though he was not very willing, and Noada was put back in the kingship again. 
There was a great fixation on Brest then, and he searched his mind to know how he could be avenged on those that had put him out, and how he could gather an army against them. And so he went to his mother, Irie, daughter of Delbaith, and bade her tell him what his race was. I know that well, she said. And she told him then that his father was a king of the Fomor, Elithin, son of Delbaic, and that he came to her one time over a level sea in some great vessel that seemed to be made of silver, but she could not see its shape. And he himself having the appearance of a young man with yellow hair, and his clothes sewed with gold, and five rings of gold about his neck. And that she refused the love of all young men of her own people. She gave him her love, and she cried when he left her. And he gave her a ring from his hand, and bade her give it only to the man whose finger it would fit. And he went away then, the same way he had come. She brought out the ring to Bress, and he put it around his middle finger, and it fitted him well. And then they went together to the hill, where she was the time she saw the silver vessel coming, and down to the strand, and she and Bress and his people set out for the country of the Fomor. When they came to that country, they found a great plain with many gatherings of people on it, and they went to the gathering that looked the best, and the people there asked where they came from, and they said they had come from Ireland. Have you hounds with you? they asked of them, for it was the custom at that time, when strangers came to a gathering, to give them some friendly challenge. We have hounds, said Brez. So the hounds were matched against one another, and the hounds of the Tuatha were better than the hounds of the Fomor. Have you horses for a race? they asked him then. We have, said Bress. And the horses of the Tuatha beat the horses of the Fomor. Then they asked was any one among them a good hand with a sword, and they said Bress was the best. But when he put his hand on his sword, Elithin, his father, that was among them and knew the ring, asked who this young man was. Then his mother answered him, and said that Brez was his own son. There was sorrow on his father then, and he said, What is it that drove you out of the country you were king over? And Brez said, Nothing drove me out but my own injustice and my own hardness. I took away their treasures from the people, and their jewels, and their food itself, and there were never taxes put on them before I was their king. That is bad, said his father. It's of their prosperity you had a right to think more of than your kingship, and their goodwill would be better than their curses. And what is it you are come here to look for? I have come for fighting men, said Bress, that I may take Ireland by force. You have no right to get it by injustice when you could not keep it by justice, said his father. What advice have you for me then? said Bress. And Elathan bade him to go to the king of the Fomor, Baelor of the evil eye, and to see what advice and what help he would give him.